Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the National College Entrance Exam, known as the Gaokao in Chinese, kicks off today and will last for two days. Iran's embassy and consulate in Saudi Arabia have reopened after a seven-year closure. Russia and Ukraine are blaming each other for the destruction of a dam in the Kherson region. We begin in Europe. Russia and Ukraine are blaming each other for the destruction of a dam in the Kherson region. Some villages have been flooded and thousands forced to leave. The dam breach could have negative consequences for Europe's largest nuclear power plant. Eloab Defit reports. The Dnipro River is flowing faster after the explosions. Currently, it's an uneasy border for anyone living near the Russian-occupied territory east of the river and the Ukrainian control to the west. After a blast at the Kakhovka Dam, the water flow in Dnipro River and its tributaries is very powerful. The water level rose by one meter. We'll see what happens next, but we hope for the best. Ukraine's military leaders accuse Russia of blowing up the dam, but Russian officials say it was partly breached because of Ukrainian shelling. In Kyiv, it's serious enough to prompt an emergency national security and defense council meeting. Russia blew up a major dam located in Novokakhovka, causing significant civilians evacuations, harsh ecological damages, and threatening the safety of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Water levels are rising and people are being evacuated from some villages in the region. Upstream, the Saporizhia nuclear plant could be affected. The International Atomic Energy Agency says it's monitoring any potential impact at the nuclear reactors. Internationally, Western diplomats blame Russia. Kremlin-appointed officials locally argue the opposite. Mr. Stiem. All of this is a result of continuous strikes on the Kharkovka hydroelectric power station. The Ukrainian forces have been carrying out these strikes for a long time. It's obvious repairs are impossible. I think we'll have to rebuild this power station from the start, just like in the 1950s. An estimated 80 villages could be affected, and Russian officials who control the town of Nova Kharkovka confirm that a part of it is flooded. That was Yuloab Dafid reporting. At a UN Security Council emergency meeting, Russia has called for an investigation into the destruction of the dam. The head of the UN says help is on the way for the affected region, but has called again for the end to the conflict. Jody Jacobs has more. The United Nations says it currently has no access to independent information on the circumstances that led to the destruction of the hydroelectric power plant dam. But Antonio Guterres says it's having a devastating effect on civilians in southern Ukraine. At least 16,000 people have already fled their homes, lost their homes, with safe and clean drinking water supplies at risk for many thousands more. The United Nations and the humanitarian partners are rushing support in coordination with the government of Ukraine. Secretary General Antonio Guterres says the images coming out of Ukraine are catastrophic and reflect a monumental humanitarian, economic and ecological crisis. He says the United Nations and its humanitarian partners are rushing support to the region, but says the conflict needs to end. The floodgates of suffering have been overflowing for more than a year, 
and that must stop. Attacks against civilians and critical civilian infrastructure must stop. And we must act to ensure accountability and respect for international humanitarian law. Above all, I appeal for a just peace in line with the UN Charter, international law, and the resolutions of the General Assembly. The Geneva Conventions explicitly banned targeting dams during times of conflict because of the danger to civilians. There are now also fears this disaster could pose a threat to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. For now, though, according to the UN nuclear watchdog, it should have enough water to cool its reactors with water from a separate supply. That was Jody Jacobs reporting from the UN headquarters in New York. Turning to Asia, today is a big day for Chinese high school students. The National College Entrance Exam, known as the Gaokao in Chinese, kicks off today and will last for two days. A record 12.9 million candidates are sitting the exam this year, marking a 980,000 increase from 2022. It's the first Gaokao since China relaxed its COVID restrictions. Measures are in place in examination centers for medical emergencies such as heat stroke. In some cities, temporary traffic controls around examination sites aim to avoid congestion and noise in surrounding areas. Lu Siray has more. Gaokao has always been considered a life-changing event for Chinese people. In the past, having a college student was an honor for the family. Getting into a good college not only represented better knowledge, but also better jobs with higher incomes. But nowadays, more young people are realizing their higher educational degrees cannot guarantee them higher paid jobs. Also, many jobs require less academic achievements, but more vocational training. China has been taking countermeasures to the aimless pursuit of high academic diploma. It has canceled extra academic tuition classes and revised laws to develop vocational schools, hoping to divert students to fulfill the needs of job markets. That was Lu Siray reporting. Turning now to the Middle East. Iran's embassy and consulate in Saudi Arabia have reopened after a seven-year closure. Tehran has hailed a new era of cooperation between the two countries and called on both sides to promote economic exchanges and investment. Tehran and Riyadh agreed to normalize ties in March under China's efforts. The move is especially appreciated among pilgrims and the business community in Iran. Esan Kavani has more from Tehran. The Iranian flag was raised outside the embassy building and the new ambassador in Riyadh is Ali Reza Enayati, he is the former Iranian ambassador to Kuwait and he also served as uh, the head of the Persian Gulf Affairs Department at the Iranian Foreign Ministry. So Tehran has picked an experienced uh, diplomat for this mission. Uh, the Iranian consulate in Jeddah has also been um, officially uh, reopened. The reopened embassy in Riyadh is expected to facilitate travel between the two countries, especially for the religious Hajj trip, uh, as millions of Iranians annually travel to the Saudi cities of Mecca and Medina. The resumption of direct flights is um, another mission pursued by Iran's embassy, plus efforts to increase trade and restore trade relations. Apart from the Iranian Hajj travelers, uh, maybe the Iranian business people are the happiest now. Uh, the Saudi Arabian diplomats have been in Tehran for weeks to start uh, their mission. However, 
Riyadh has not reopened its embassy in Tehran uh, because the building is still being prepared. Uh, I talked to a considerable number of merchants and trading companies who are counting down the reopening of uh, Saudi embassy in Tehran so that they can obtain visas and visit Saudi Arabia for uh, the purpose of uh, exports and imports. That was Esan Kavani reporting. The normalization of ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran has heralded a new chapter of relations among countries formerly at odds. The Middle East had seen a significant thaw of long-standing tensions. Gao Yiming takes a look. The spring of 2023 has not only seen the melting of the winter snow and ice, but also a defrosting of bitter divisions in the Middle East. On March the 10th, with China as a mediator, Iran and Saudi Arabia agreed to restore diplomatic ties seven years after severing relations in a breakthrough that took the world by surprise. Just one week after Saudi Arabia and Iran re-established ties, Qatar and Bahrain announced an end to a long-running diplomatic field, reinstating relations. On April the 9th, Saudi and Omani delegations held peace talks with Houthi officials in the Yemeni capital Sana. Yemen's Houthi group and its government conducted prisoner swaps, which also adds to hopes that Yemeni's nine-year conflict can one day be settled. After restoring ties with Iran, Saudi Arabia has moved out relations with Syria. Both foreign ministers have broken the ice by visiting each other. In May, foreign ministers from Arab League member states agreed to reinstate Syria's membership. Relations between Turkey and Egypt have also improved. The heads of the two nations agreed to immediately upgrade diplomatic relations with a decision to exchange ambassadors after a phone call on May 29th. That was Gao Yiming with a review of efforts to mend relations in the Middle East. Finally, in America, a second plane carrying migrants has landed in California days after 16 people were flown to Sacramento and left in front of a church. California officials believe the migrants may have been deceived and are blaming the Florida governor. Tony Waterman has more. More migrants from Texas have been flown to Sacramento, California. It's the second time in the past few days. California officials say the migrants arrived with paperwork that appeared to have been issued by the state of Florida. One of their vendors that they hired with an official uh, budgetary allotment called Virtual Systems was involved in moving uh, these migrants from Texas to New Mexico, then to Sacramento. So we believe the state of Florida is behind this, and we are investigating now to see if there are any criminal or civil laws that have been violated. California Governor Gavin Newsom has questioned whether the flights constitute kidnapping after advocacy groups claim the migrants were intentionally deceived into boarding the flights, promised help in securing jobs that never existed. They're human beings. They're people with families. Um, there's some young people, you know, that are just trying to support or make a life for themselves. In a tweet, Newsom called Florida Governor Ron DeSantis a small, pathetic man for his alleged role in the scheme. So far, DeSantis has kept mum on the flights. But the Republican, who recently announced his 2024 bid for the White House, has been touting his tough stance on immigration on the campaign trail. We've sent National Guard to the border to help with what's going on down there, and we even sent illegal aliens to beautiful Martha's Vineyard. 
But the transfer of migrants to Martha's Vineyard could now land DeSantis in court. A Texas sheriff on Monday recommended criminal charges be filed after 49 migrants were transported from Texas to Massachusetts last September. The recommendation includes both felony and misdemeanor charges of unlawful restraint. The Texas sheriff believing the migrants were lured under false pretenses. But at this point, it's not clear who the charges will be filed against. The case is now under review by the San Antonio district attorney. That was Tony Waterman reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of today's top stories. Millions of students are sitting China's annual college entrance exam. Iran's embassy and consulate in Saudi Arabia have reopened after a seven-year closure. And Russia and Ukraine are blaming each other for the destruction of a dam in the Kherson region. That concludes today's top story, which brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.